Why are the nations in tumult? And why do the peoples devise a vain plot? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Let us break their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. He who dwells in heaven laughs, shall laugh them to scorn. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury. Yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I'll proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. This day I've begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, O kings, be wise. Be prudent, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and with trembling kiss his feet, lest he be angry and you perish on the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Uh, throughout our time with the Psalms, uh, sort of the uh, title of our time together is the, the New Testament playlist, looking at those Psalms that make their way into the New Testament. We want to hear them well as a standalone piece, and then sort of marvel at how in the tradition, parts of the psalm are picked up and parts are not. Here, Psalm 2 in the New Testament in Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 31. Their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, Jonathan, and Alexander, all who were of the high priestly family, called them and ordered them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them again, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all of them praised God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing had been performed was more than 40 years old. After that, they were released, and they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they raised their voices together to God. 
and prayed, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them, it is, but, it is you who sang by the Holy Spirit through David, our ancestor, your servant. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in this city, in fact, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants, speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal. Signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. May God bless this reading of his holy word. According to Luke, Psalm 2, or better, the first stanza of Psalm 2, was added that day to the New Testament playlist. Music, poetry, and song led to being filled with boldness. It was the song of the Holy Spirit felt deep in their beings and finding joyful and amazed expressions on their tongues, a different type of tongues of fire. In this stanza, the first stanza, they found at least soulful comfort that, of course, the Messiah would be plotted against. Of course. In their minds, David sang of it thousands of years before. Of course. Would be plotted against and even be killed. At the same time, the disciples confounded in mind the great why of the psalm. Because the psalm voices pained amazement that those who are elevated to positions of power to shepherd their people would plot and kill the good shepherd. How can this be? How stupid can this be? How evil can this be? Somehow the poetry holds together, well, of course. And at the same time, how can it possibly be? There's a tensiveness in that realization. The of course adds some comfort that easily turns to cynicism. The how can this be anchors us in the human condition that is always hoping for more. In other words, it made no head sense, but it made sung sense. Not head sense, sung sense. Lament opening up to praise. And then the great surprise of what God would do, 
even better than what the psalm originally voiced. The psalm originally voiced security in the political order of the Davidic king and trust that God would allow the king to make things right. Law and order. Put them in their place. That's the original hope of the psalm, but that's not what the disciples sang that day. No, they were open to God's surprise. Instead of dashing the plotters and murderers to pieces, God would conquer the powers of death and sin itself. Who saw that coming? God in Christ would conquer not through force, but through love. Forgiveness. Redemption. And yet, even now, the leaders would hear nothing of it. They plotted against the disciples, bearing the Spirit of Christ, the work of the gospel. And because of this, Psalm 2, its first stanza, becomes their soundtrack. Their musical song of their life, their passion, their conflict, their promise, their confoundment, their tensiveness. And as they remembered, claimed, and sang, I bet they could almost hear in their souls, he who is in heaven laughs. But maybe not the way I read it. Grace will do that. Forgiveness will do that. Perfect love that casts out fear will do that. I imagine the disciples singing stanza two like the actors on the stage singing, Do You Hear the People Sing? I'm not going to sing it. You could sing it. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. For the disciples in the midst of danger, confusion, injustice, and fear, the disciples Peter and John found Psalm 2 beating deep in their soul and in their hearts. And they pass that to us. So in this time of confusion and chaos and fear and great division, which part of Psalm 2 beats in our hearts? Is it the first stanza or is it the second stanza? Which is the reflection of our soul? Amen. The first part of Psalm 2 is very, very troubling. The world is in chaos. And as I read the psalm, as I heard Scott present it this morning in the embodiment, I couldn't help thinking about things that are going on in our own world today. Ukraine kept coming to my mind. The senseless death, the destruction of property, the loss of life, the disruption of the normal things that people do day to day. 
I had to think about Sudan, where two rival and very selfish generals are fighting for power, and they're doing so in the capital city, causing enormous suffering and pain. I had to think about the violence in our own society, the number of guns that we have, and the way that they're used, and the fear that that causes. These are all self-inflicted wounds, self-inflicted troubles. And to me, they're very, very troubling for a number of reasons. One is, I'm an optimist. After all, I grew up in the Midwest. I think things are going to get better. And that ties into my political beliefs in the classical sense. I'm a liberal, not in terms of Democrat or Republican, but I believe in democracy over autocracy. I think that education and common sense will prevail over ignorance and prejudice. I believe that negotiation and compromise and reason, diplomacy are better than the alternatives. Those are things I hope for. But as we look at what's going on in the first couple decades of the 21st century, it isn't so clear that that's going to happen, that there is progress. And that's troubling to me, but even more troubling is that the first stanzas of Psalm 2 and even the rest of us challenge me at a more profound and spiritual level. My background is I grew up in the Mennonite tradition. I'm a pacifist, and I base my pacifism on my Christian faith, belief that that's the way of Jesus, that Jesus taught to turn the other cheek, that Jesus taught love for enemies, that Jesus taught us that we should resolve conflicts through love and reconciliation. And that isn't what Psalm 2 is talking about. Yes, the good guys win in Psalm 2, but the good guys win by striking down the bad guys with rods of iron, smashing them like pieces of pottery. In other words, in today's world, the bombs, the missiles, the guns, will be defeated by the bombs, the missiles, the guns of the good guys. And that really flies in the face of, of my own pacifistic beliefs. So that's extremely troubling to me. Psalm 2 leaves us with the question, it leaves me with a question about my optimism, my understanding of pacifism. And I guess I can answer that when people say, well, pacifism is not very practical in the real world. And my answer would be, the way of violence isn't all that practical either. But that's a little comfort, I suppose. And so Psalm 2 leaves me with a question. Maybe that's the beginning of a conversation a conversation that we all need to continue in our own lives.